0: morning. Good morning. Uh, if you are just joining us, this is Mornings with Carmen, and I am Carmen LaBerge. Um, and I'm going to refrain from celebrating again the uh, victory of the University of Georgia in the college football uh, championship game last night over the University of Alabama, because, you know, if you mention it twice, it seems like, you know, haughty. And we're going to follow the role of Romans, Romans 12 today. We're going to rejoice with those who rejoice, which would be go dogs. And we would weep with those who weep today. Yeah. And we will live in harmony with one another. We will not be haughty. We will associate with the lowly. We will never be wise in our own sight. We will repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to doing what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on each one of us, we will live peaceably. I love that passage from Romans chapter 12. I'm wondering where in the word you are today. I shared at the uh, at the open of the first hour that one of the things that we're using in our family during the month of January are these uh, paper placemats that uh, each day you you pull them off and you set them out and they're different passages of scripture and I love that it's like. And you know, it's better for me than like a calendar that I have to keep up with all year that has like a tear off scripture thing because I usually do that for a few weeks and then I forget about it. And I, in June, I look back and it's still like January the 23rd or something. So this is good because it's just, we're only doing it for a short period of time. Um, but this morning, my placemat was Psalm forty-three eight. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go for to you. I entrust my life. I actually think this is a wonderful opening verse for every single day. If you don't have a verse that you're leaning into every morning, maybe Psalm 143, verse 8 could be uh, such a verse for you, help you make every day um, a day that's given over to the Lord. You know, Bible before phone, as Justin uh, Early would tell us in terms of the formation of really, you know... Holy habits for uh, ourselves and our families. So, have you been in the word before you have sought to be out in the world? That is a good question for this morning. Bible before phone. This is 2022. It's the year of the Lord. How are you giving it to Him? How are you rendering to God this year? Um, I had a recent conversation with a friend who said, you know, for a lot of people, God's just a hobby. God's just a hobby. And I, I just was heartbroken. Um, because I think that's, first of all, a very accurate assessment of the way a lot of people live, as if God is, you know, a hobby, work him in on a weekend when you've got some free time, um, but otherwise, you know, ignore him, put him on a shelf, let him collect dust. Um, that, that is not how we are to relate To the God of all that is, the God of all creation, the God of everything that's visible and invisible, uh, our creator God, the one who knit us together in our mother's womb, um, the one uh, who desires to be in a restored relationship with us and has done everything necessary for that to happen by sending his son, Jesus Christ, uh, God in the flesh, to die on our behalf, a substitutionary atonement, a, a death on our behalf on the cross. And then raised him from death so that not only would our sins be forgiven, but that we would have the opportunity to live eternally um, with God in newness of life. So um, all of that is is a part of who God is and so much more. He's, he's beyond, you know, you can't know him completely, but you can certainly know him. Jesus Christ came to make him known. So all of that is to say, if you've been treating God as a hobby, today I want you to consider that God is holy. And he deserves more than sort of a hobby level of attention in our lives. Justin Gibbony uh, is, uh, is a friend. He heads up something called the AND Campaign. If you're not familiar with it, um, I invite you to check it out. Might give you a perspective on things that you don't already have. Would you like to have someone else's perspective on some of the things going on in the world today? And would you like to have some Vision for the positive possible future ahead of us. Not utopian, but realistic in terms of a Christian worldview. Yeah, Justin and I are going to unpack that next. Justin Gibney heads up uh, and campaign. You can find the and campaign at andcampaign.org. He's uh, got a great book there that you can use as a resource. Also, um, access to the church politics podcast, which is one that I love. So, uh, Justin, hey, happy new year, and welcome back.
2: Hey, Carmen, thanks for having me. Glad to be back.
0: Absolutely. So, I thought it would be fun to have you cast um, cast a vision here. 2022 and beyond, if you uh, if you want to go beyond that, um, what do you see in terms of like a positive possible future? I feel from you it will not be utopian, but it will be realistic uh, for Christians in the world today.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think in general, Christians want to see flourishing in uh, our country and beyond. I, I think we want to see honesty and people dealing with each other uh, in, a, in a better way. Uh, The problem that I see with Christians right now, and I'll kind of start with the issue and then move from there. The problem is that I see so much fear and desperation that Mm -hmm. it takes away from our public witness. And so what I would like to see Christians do in 2022, uh, starting in 2022 and beyond, is to move past the fear and desperation. And it doesn't mean that there aren't threats out there, but to replace that with what I've talked about a lot of times, which is the moral imagination, which is the faithful response to to these kind of threats and really know that they in knowing that there's something better out there, conduct ourselves in such a way uh, to have conversations with others without necessarily trying to win the conversation to see the humanity in the person that may be sneering and foul mouthed, but we know they have a story. We know they have a testimony and that we know that we're broken just like them. Uh, and so that's what I would like to see the replacement of this fear and desperation. With moral imagination, which was ha- would have us know that things can change, know that things can be different, and that we don't have to play by the rules that seem to be uh, uh, all around us uh, in the public square.
0: Without a vision, the people perish, um, and without a vision, people just wander around. Like right, it's just this, this meaningless wandering. I like the word flourishing. I like the um, the recognition that we do desire. We want to see honest dealing. Um, That is a truth word. There's a truth, you know, there's an acknowledgement that truth matters in that. Um, If I'm going to deal honestly with someone else, then I am going to be a person that's committed to the truth. Uh, I think, Justin, you know, one of the challenges that we experience is that everyone is not sort of equally committed to the truth, and people think that um, they have their own rational um personal approach to truth. I think that's one of the challenges I experience. When you talk about fear and desperation, um, can you say a little bit more about that? If the problem is fear and desperation, um, that says to me that people, the desperation part means there's a sense of scarcity and or loss. And the fear part, um, I think is, again, particularly challenging um, because we have some natural or innate fear but it's not all reasonable
2: yeah that's a good point uh i I mean just look at our public square you see that conservatives kind of fear uh the progressive agenda progressives fear the conservative agenda and i can't say that either of them don't have reason to be concerned uh the question is how reasonable are those fears right some some of that is reasonable and how do we respond to those fears? Do we respond by, as you mentioned, denying truth? Because truth is inconvenient. And in many cases, the narratives that we want to push to make the other side look worse or to make us look better are really not truthful. And so we're willing to push aside the truth to get an advantage or what we think would be an advantage in the public square, in these, uh, in the discourse, in these debates. But, kind of what I'm saying is that within our fear and within some of this desperation that we we have to hold on to the truth. we have to be a, to still be able to admit when we're wrong, still be able to to admit when the other side got something right in order to fix this uh but when you're when you're caught up in the fear and, and desperation it's everything seems too urgent to even do the right thing. The only thing that you can do is act in your immediate self interest and that's why we keep digging a, a deeper hole.
0: Yeah, and that undermines the foundation of building anything upon it, right? So if I'm if if everyone is only obsessing over um what they perceive to be their most urgent personal need, um and we're all just digging in further and further against one another, um we can't build on that. Like that's literally undermining the foundation of community, it's undermining the fa- the foundation Uh, upon which we might build anything in the future where we might flourish together. So I think that's a a really strong observation and a really good one. Um, When you talk about moral imagination, um, will you remind us in just a moment what that is?
2: Yeah, sure. I think moral imagination is the ability to see not just what is or not just what has been, but to see what could be based on God's promises, uh, to mm. be in a situation that may be dire, that may be corrupted, but to understand that it can be better, that it can be redeemed.
0: Yeah, redemption's a huge part of that conversation. All right, Justin and I um, are going to move into a conversation here in just a moment about voting rights. You may remember that last month President Biden said there's nothing domestically more important than passing the voting rights legislation. At a federal level, we're going to talk with Justin about uh, his assessment of that. Do you agree? Do you think maybe that's an overstatement? There is nothing domestically more important than the voting rights agenda um, currently before Congress. We'll be right back. All right. Continuing our conversation with Justin Gibney from the AND campaign. Um, Justin, the president uh, said last month that there is nothing domestically more important than passing voting rights um, reform. Do you agree or is that an overstatement? I
2: think it's an important issue. I, wouldn't, I don't know if it's, you know, I think it's uh, up there. It, it's probably maybe top in your top five uh, because it's a matter of integrity. I mean, when you're talking about voting, That's the foundation of our system. And so we do need to get it right. And I think there's people on both sides who realize that there are things that need to be reformed just to maintain the integrity of our system. So it is very important. Um, You know, there may be a little bit of puffery there, but, you know, given our history, I don't I don't know if there is. It's something that we need to acknowledge. And I certainly wouldn't uh, say that it's something that needs to be placed on the back burner.
0: So, what would you like to hear the president say today, or how would you like for him to address this? I know he's going to make a big speech today um, on this topic. I also know that there's, uh, you know, a lot of folks who would be considered activists on this topic, even even in the state that he's visiting, which is Georgia. Um, Stacey Abrams is not making time on her schedule um, to be there, and she is, I think, by a lot of people's perception, probably the leading. Democrat candidate seeking to replace the current Republican governor in in the state of Georgia um, and a high profile person on this topic. So, um, you know, what what would you like to hear the president say today? How would you like to hear him frame this? Um, And what do you think the prospects are in terms of seeing, um, you know, seeing this pass getting actually through without some kind of change to the filibuster? I know there's a lot of questions in there.
2: Yeah, I mean. I think I would, I want to hear the president lay out why uh, voting rights are important from historical constitutional, you know, uh point of view, this is why this is very important. This is how it's been denied in the past. And look, I'm doing everything I can to move this forward in a real way, not based on narratives coming from the left or coming from the right, but based again on the importance of our system having integrity. Uh, and that, and that's what I'd like to hear The truth of the matter, though, is, and, and, you know, people, you know, they realize this sometimes but may not say it publicly, the president can only do so much in this situation, right? Um, He's dealing with, you know, um, his own party. Uh, He's dealing with uh, Joe Manchin. He's dealing with the Republicans. And so it's going to take more than the president to to come along and and make some of this stuff happen. Uh, You have a conversation about uh, the filibuster and should that be removed. And I think people are really trying to put pressure on. Uh, the president to move on that. But then again, it's not just up to him. There's, there's other people that are part of this conversation. And so it, it's really, uh, you know, I think it's up to the people, it's up to us to put pressure on both parties to make sure that we get this right. Whether we're talking about the Electoral Count Act, whether I think it's part of it, I don't think that's the whole of it. We have to also talk about access. We all need to be concerned about this because, again, it's a matter of integrity, it's a matter of rights. And it speaks to agency. And is this country uh, what it represents itself to be?
0: So um, if if a listener were raising a concern here that um, you seem to be uh, not concerned about corruption, rights or access versus corruption. Um, I know you well enough to know that you're concerned about both, but apparently people need to hear you say that out loud.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about corruption for sure. But you've got to show me the corruption for me to say there's a certain action that we should take on that corruption. It has to be more than just a conspiracy theory. It can't be what conservatives and progressive judges have thrown out and said that there's nothing, there's no substance there. If, if, you, if someone shows me corruption, then that corruption needs to be addressed. Uh, if someone can show where fraud is changing elections, that needs to be addressed. Uh, you, you hear people, even uh, conservative pundits like Yuval Levin, say it's just not happening uh, to the extent where it's changing elections. And so we need to take all these things into consideration. We need to look at the facts and, and the data, and we need to make sure that we do what's necessary to restore faith in our system. And that starts again with, with the word I've been saying over and over again is integrity
0: yeah i think that the the subject of integrity is a is a good starting place for the conversation among christians um and I would push back you know for those who would say um that you know that well there's there's there was just corruption you know everywhere you turn what do you mean you can't see it um you know the the reality is there's not um and so I would invite you if you think that there was you know corruption wide scale at, at the at the depth and breadth that it would um that it would have changed the outcome of the election um you know that just wasn't shown courts did not find that that was true and so are you going to now say well i don't trust the courts so you don't trust the electoral process and you don't trust the courts That that is a dangerous place to have arrived at um, in terms of our confidence uh, in this Democratic Republic. Um, All right. So people are asking questions now about voter ID. Um, Do you have where are you on voter ID?
2: So uh, I think the history of this is very important. So when you talk about a lot of older African-Americans, Some of these people, including my grandmother, I think I've told that story on here before when she she was able to vote in Colorado for years, never had a problem. She moved to Georgia and could not get um, the proper ID and so therefore could never was able to register to vote. That problem, to some extent, is fading away as some of the older generation who some of them were not given proper birth certificates and all those things as that older generation um, is is, is kind of uh, getting older. That's that's not as much of a problem. So in general, voter ID makes sense to me. It's free. Most people can get an ID, but we do need to understand the history of that and why it was important for many older African-Americans who were not able to get proper ID because of a lot of uh, racist systems that, that we had going on uh, when they were born and as they were growing up.
0: Yeah, I think that for folks who don't understand the concerns related to that that are raised generationally on this topic um they've never tried to uh yeah they've never tried <laughs> um they've they've never tried to understand just why this issue is so sensitive um particularly for a generation of african americans who were barred from voting um when they certainly should have been allowed to vote um, I feel confident that I know your answer to the question of whether or not non-citizens should be voting. Um, the city of New York has, uh, has made the way for 800,000 non-U.S. residents to vote in upcoming elections. Obviously, those people won't have the kind of ID that we would um, imagine would be required in other places to vote, and they're not citizens of the United States. I feel like that corrupts the process completely.
2: I mean, we have to be compassionate towards uh, immigrants, those who you know are here legally or not. But citizenship has to mean something. Uh, and citizenship comes with the uh, ability to vote. And I don't think that should be expanded past citizenship.
0: Yeah, I, I'd agree. I'd agree. Hey, Justin, as always, thank you so much. Thank you so much for engaging in the conversation, opening up our awareness to things that we might not you know might not have seen and uh, uh, a part of the conversation that at least some who are listening um, you know haven't they, they haven't heard that perspective or if they've heard it they haven't given it um, much weight so thank you so much as always for engaging with us we love it
2: thanks for the opportunity Carmen take care
0: absolutely that's Justin Gibney. you can find him at andcampaign.org we'll be right back All right, I don't know if you're aware this is uh, Human Trafficking Awareness Day. It was an awareness question. Are you aware that today is Human Trafficking Awareness Day? Or that January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month? Are you aware of the problem of human trafficking? Are you aware that? And here's when I say these numbers they're just so extraordinary and the uh, the the distance between the two numbers is so great that you're going to say to yourself, okay, how bad are we are we at counting this? Well, it's just because there are only estimates because obviously if we knew exactly every person who had been or is actively being trafficked, then we would be actively working to liberate that individual and bring the perpetrator to justice. So when I say there are between 21 and 45 million people, twenty between 21 and 45 million people trapped in some form of slavery today, like those numbers are almost impossible for get us to get our mind around. Each one of those people are absolutely precious. Each one of those people are seen and accounted for by God none of them are unaccounted for each one of those people is a person for whom Christ came to set at Liberty Liberty the captives like a, a person oppressed by the sin of another person we're gonna let light shine today into the darkness of this particular depravity we're gonna turn the light on in terms of human trafficking We're going to seek to see those who are are around us, Um, maybe people we have failed to see. We're going to discover today what to do. Pat Bradley from Crisis Aid is here to guide us into a conversation that we may have been afraid to have, but a reality that we must face as ambassadors of a king who wants to set the captives free. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen.
1: All of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. This is Max Locato. The best book of promises is the one you and God are going to write together. Search until you find covenants that address your needs. Clutch them as the precious pearls they are. Hide them in your heart so they can pay dividends long into the future. And when the enemy comes with his lies of doubt and fear, produce the pearl Satan will be quickly silenced. He has no reply for truth. The promises of God work, friend. They can walk you through horrific tragedies. Build your life on the great and precious promises of God. Since his promises are unbreakable, your hope will be unshakable. The winds still blow, but in the end you will be standing, standing on the promises of God. This is Max Locato.
0: bradley joins us now founder and ceo of crisis aid during this human trafficking awareness day and human trafficking awareness month pat welcome to mornings with carmen
3: thank you carmen good to be with you
0: yeah it's good to be with you too talk with us about the need um why do we need organizations like crisis aid
3: well, let me tell you a really quick story why we need these organizations. It was back in 2008. I met with the FBI. Um, they contacted us because we had some programs overseas. And they informed me at that point in time, they were doing these um, investigations and discovering these girls who were underage. These are minors that are under uh, 18 years old, Carmen. And when they would bust them on a sting, they had nowhere to take the girls. So At that point in time, in the whole United States, there were 49 beds that were dedicated to victims of sex trafficking. And law enforcement really had no working relationship with any of those three organizations. And so they contacted us, explained the problem. Um, We said, sure, we'll open a home. And why it's needed is there was nowhere to go with the girls. And the girls were being taken to jail or to juvenile detention. So these mm-hmm. are girls who are victims of horrible crimes, and you turn around and you put them in jail. What do you think that does to the girl
0: yeah, I mean I know this is this this is the story of how Mercy multiplied started as well um mm-hmm. I mean that, that you you're identifying exactly um you know the starting point for so many minist- so many ministries related to um, human trafficking here in the United States and so talk with us about um about what you guys do at Crisis Aid. Talk with folks about identifying victims of trafficking in their own communities. Like, I just think that this is an opportunity to raise awareness, and so let's do that.
3: Sure, so what we do is we have two programs here in in the States. Uh, We have a home in St. Louis where we actually have girls stay with us uh, for up to a year. Sometimes they actually stay longer, and these are girls who are victims of sex traffickers who are identified in active investigations with law enforcement. So these are girls that would, before this home, would have had to been put into juvenile detention or put into jail if they were over 18. So we have a home here in St. Louis, but uh, as equal, and we've had that since 2012, and we've had over 200 girls that we've served. But equally important, um, we've been asking ourselves from day one, how can we get involved in prevention? How do we catch the girls before they become victims? Um, but it had to be done in a meaningful way in a way that we could measure how many girls who were just about to become victims of traffickers or predators. And so we developed a program with law enforcement, we call it CAP, it's the Child Anti-Exploitation Program. And we work side-by-side with Internet Crimes Against Children investigative units in law enforcement. So right now, Carmen, we have in six different police departments uh, full-time staff that work every single day with law enforcement on the identifying girls who are just about to cross that line? They're being groomed by uh, pimps and predators. In um, the year 2020, we actually prevented 314 girls from becoming victims of traffickers. So for us, I mean, it's a great thing that we're actually now able to find a way to stop this and and get these girls rescued before they even have to go through what what they do mm-hmm. when we have them in our homes.
0: All right. If you guys want to check that out, uh, crisisaid.org um, is a place where you can can go. Uh, we got tons of people texting in uh, right now, um, Pat, about organizations in their own communities. Um, somebody in Connecticut saying, hey, in my community, you know, the anti-human trafficking organization that our church is engaged, engaged with is called Love 146. There's also one called The Underground. We have somebody reminding us of the conversations we've had in the past with Kevin Malone. Um, and exodus road, um I mentioned mercy multiplied another listener um you know is is texting in about um i j m international justice uh, mission um, it, it, this is uh, this is something that there is collaborative i can you assure people of that that the the work that is happening in anti human trafficking is a network of organizations. Um, happening, uh, working in states across the country and in countries around the world, because this is a problem everywhere.
3: It is. I mean, we do work with other organizations um, when we can. Um, For instance, in East uh, East Africa, we have a home there. We're the only ones in an entire country that is working in this field. So there's really no one to work with. Um, And when we started this back in 2008, you know, researching United States, There were really no other organizations involved in this field that we were aware of. And so we work when we can with other organizations. But to really be frank with you, um, here in St. Louis, there's a coalition of organizations that we're a member of um, and also for the state of Missouri. But from a national level, we're unaware of any kind of a joint effort um, to bring all the organizations together to do that. We do, uh, we're one of the, we work with Polaris Project, so they send us a lot of referrals on tips and uh, information that they get.
0: So um, we're going to take a very brief pause, uh, Pat, and when we come back, Mm -hmm. um, if you'll just, I think that it would be helpful for people to understand, like how, I know that it will be unique for every story, but maybe you could tell us the story of one person who you know, who has ended up in a situation where she has been trafficked. Like, how does that happen? Um, because I think that for people listening, like if we if we could better understand the circumstances that lead to a person being trafficked, um, then maybe we would be able in our own communities to not only prevent it, but then maybe you could help us identify, like, how do we look around in our communities and see it? Because it is, it is invisible to most people. Could we do that?
3: We sure can.
0: Great. All right. I'm talking with Pat Bradley from Crisis Aid. We'll be right back.
3: All right.
0: We're talking with Pat Bradley on this Anti-Human Trafficking Awareness Day and Anti-Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Uh, this being January. Pat is the founder and CEO of Crisis Aid. You can can find the ministry and links to resources at crisisaid.org. Pat, how does a person um, end up uh, as a trafficked individual? Um, What are the things that we might look for in our own communities to identify those who are being trafficked today?
3: Well, first off, Carmen, it's very, very difficult to look at a person and and think and be able to identify outwardly, is this person involved in trafficking? Is this person a victim of trafficking? Because the outward signs just really aren't as visible as we would want them to be. But some of the things that we could um, look for are sudden changes in sleeping or eating habits, unusual mood swings from aggressive to overall passivity. Um. Younger children using sexually explicit language are are behaviors. Suicide attempts are discussion, you know, talking about suicide. Um, And a big one is like loss of interest in previous things like sports or school or extracurricular activities. Um, And then another big one is like isolating themselves from their family. So they're living at home. They may be victimized. They may be um, trafficked actively while they still live at home. And they just isolate themselves from the family. These are all really big warning signs that something drastic is wrong with the child, especially if you see it come on to them, like within a, a two, three, four week period, you see things like that happening.
0: And um, when you think about the stories that you know of people who have been rescued from this life and um, and have had an opportunity to... Um, be renewed. Um, you know, lots of trauma therapy required there. Lots of, um, I mean, you have to build a whole new life. Talk with us about just one of their stories. Like, tell us, um, you know, tell us a redemptive story. When, when it all works out, um, what does that look like?
3: Well, one girl, um, we actually rescued her personally from a red light district. And what we learned was that when we re- Got her out that night. She was 16 years old, Carmen, and she had been there for five years. So from the age of 11 to 16, she had been raped repeatedly on a daily basis. She had no family. Um, she lived in this red light district that was absolutely horrible. Um, and so she went, got her worldly possessions, and they all fit in like a Walmart, Walmart-sized shopping bag. That's all she had. She had no family. And so we began this program with her. Actually, she was the first girl we rescued back in 2006. So frankly, we didn't know what we were doing. We just knew we couldn't leave her there. Well, long story short, this girl has now graduated our program. She's working full-time for our ministry in East Africa. And she's married, and she's also heading up work now in the Red Light District where the girls, where we're still pulling girls out of. Mm, So she went full circle.
0: Yes. That's just awesome. Um, Thank you, Pat, for what you're doing every single day. Um, Thank you for uh, raising our awareness um, on this subject. Can we pray for you as you continue to engage in this, in this just really difficult and critical area?
3: Sure. I would love that.
0: Father, thank you so much. Um, Thank you so much for Pat. Thank you so much for, Uh, the partners at Crisis Aid. Thank you for their concern for um, people who you see and and whose circumstances you know, um, but that things who are living in in ways that we often just simply turn our eyes, avert our eyes from. So thank you that you've given them a heart to look right into uh, the the darkest of places in our culture. Um, And thank you for the Resources necessary for the accomplishing of your will in the lives of these young women. I would ask, Father, that you would grant uh, crisis aid and ministries like them all the grace necessary to identify um, and liberate these men and women from um, from sexual slavery uh, and trafficking here in the United States and around the world. Father, make our churches places where these um, individuals could be welcomed where they could know real love and real family, where they could find newness of life um, and a flourishing in the future. Um, give to each one of them a future filled with hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, amen. Again, thank you so much, Pat, for joining us and for what you're doing at Crisis Aid. Um, thank you for raising our awareness today.
3: Well, Carmen, thank you for what you're doing because you're getting the word out and that's that helps us immensely. So God bless you for what you're doing too.
0: Well, thank you so much. Um, Friends, if you want some resources on this, I I like the refuse to do nothing tab at crisisaid.org. You can be an agent of awareness and prevention right where you are. You can um, you can implement this in a high school or a university or a church or just your neighborhood or even, you know, in your home. Refuse to do nothing. Doing nothing is no longer an option uh, in in an environment where so many people are being actively trafficked. There's resources for you at crisisaid.org. We'll be right back.
2: This is, a down to the of the this is a
1: kingdom
0: Yeah, I think there are some times that um, there are things going on around us, and we're just afraid to look at them. So I want to encourage you today to, um, to see things that maybe you've been afraid to see in your own community um, because there's a person on the other side of that, who, um, you know, for whom Christ came. And through your agency, Christ wants to see that person liberated today from uh, the ways in which someone is sinning against them, oppressing them, holding them in bondage or hostage, literally captive. Now, let's be mindful that Jesus came to set the captives free. And in our generation, in our day, right now, um, millions of people are living in captivity. They're living as slaves to the sexual gratification of another person. And so let's, let's engage on this issue. Let's not be afraid. The darkness is dark, but we know the one who is the light. And so let's be people today who let the light shine. Let the light pierce the darkness. Be a person who opens your eyes today. Be on the lookout for people who um, avert their eyes. I mean, if you're in a store and there's um and there's a girl with no phone um and she is uh being cowered by another person, yeah, that is every in every possibility a person who's trafficked like girls should be carrying a purse and a phone today um and if they're not like something's up like we ought to be furrowing our brows and looking at that all right how how are you gonna be an agent of change? It is no longer um okay. Uh, for us to do nothing, so let us be people who refuse to do nothing today on this front let's keep our eyes open and let's be aware on this human trafficking awareness day um let's uh let 's end our our time together today, just recognizing how precious people are to God that starts with you. You are precious to God, do you know that i mean do you do you know that like in your bones, like down at the cellular level, do you know? how precious you are to God. He literally knit you together in your mother's womb. He counts the hairs on your head and the ones in your hairbrush and knows the ones that went down the drain. Like, God loves you passionately, desperately, deeply, in a way that is abiding. His steadfast love never ceases, and His mercies are new every morning. Do you need to hear that today? Do you need to know today that God's mercies are new for you today? He never runs out. He never. It's like saying that the ocean would one day run out of water. That's just not going to happen. God's never going to run out of mercy and grace directed toward you, for you today. Not only are His mercies new every morning, His mercies are new for you every morning. Do you need that today? Come to Him. If you are burdened and heavy laden. Come to him. Let him be the source of your life. Let his love radiate into and through you. And then go forth to reflect that light and that love to others. Be an agent of God's grace today in the life of another person. Have a great day. Be a blessing. And God bless.